It's not hyperbole, and it's not a red scare. It's real. Every week, America gets closer to the Soviet Union and further from our founding principles. The most famous bioethicist in the country is telling CNN how he'd like to punish people who refuse the vaccine by making insurance too expensive for them to buy. Next, a Florida jury refused to convict an accused murderer of killing a woman after he burglarized her house because he's a black man. And then, a New York state senator has introduced a bill to criminalize the speech of any citizen or company that creates a public harm with misinformation. We'll talk about all of that and more this week on Disaffected. Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. And happy anniversary to us. Folks, this is a year of this show that we started in January of 2021. And for those of you who are new, I want to remind everybody what the thesis of this show is. This show is about how abuse in the home, child abuse, domestic abuse, but the psychology that motivates that abuse, the psychology that motivates domestic and child abuse has gone feral. It's not just private anymore. It's now out in public. And one of the terms for this kind of psychology is what we call cluster B personality disorders. Borderline personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, and psychopathy or sociopathy. And if you'd like to get a grounding in this show's thesis and to understand why we frame our topics the way we do, I've got a couple of episodes from the back catalog to um, recommend to you. Check out our first two episodes, episodes one and two. Episode one is Mommy Issues, The Origin Story. Episode two is Don't Diagnose. And that's an episode about the complaint that one often hears Uh, in talking about mental illness and personality disorders. You're not a professional. You can't say these things. You can't notice these things. And if you want a closer look at what borderline and narcissistic personality disorders do in the home and do to child development, take a look at our two-part episode called Over the Borderline, parts one and two. That's where I talk about what my childhood home was like, and I use movie clips from Mommy Dearest and from the horror movie Carrie to illustrate that concept and use some familiar pop culture archetypes. Before we jump into things, I I want to show you this card that we got. I think it's a nice way to mark our one-year anniversary. Sparkly Christmas card from a listener and a viewer named David in um, Montreal. So this is what David had to say. Dear Mommy Dearest and Kevin, the producer, thank you for being a source of sanity in this clown world. One of my favorite lines from you, Josh, is when you compared Portland to Mogadishu. (laughs) Though I think Mogadishu deserves better than that. I've learned so much about cluster B personality types from your show, and it has shed light on all the toxic relationships in my personal life. Also, as a gay man myself, it is nice to know that there are other fags out there that don't buy into the LGBT cult. Wishing you a very happy Christmas and a happy new year from Barbara Bennett. 
<laughs> As Joan would say, David, bless you, bless you. <laughs> All right, let's get to it. I couldn't believe this when I saw it. I couldn't believe it. It sounds like something I would have made up three years ago as a parody to get, a, you know, laughs. But it isn't a parody. It's real. This is the story of a Florida jury who refused to convict an accused murderer of the crime because the accused murderer is black. The defendant, Mr. Rezales, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. You guys know the drill. <laughs> Let me describe the case for you. This is from WSVN, a Florida news station. Rezales faces life in prison and possibly the death penalty for the murder of Jill Sue, a 59-year-old Davy woman who was killed in her home back in September of 2014. Police said Rezales broke into the home to commit a burglary, and when he found Sue inside, he tied her up and stabbed her to death. His DNA was found on a knife inside the home. We've got a couple of quotes from, I believe it's the jury foreperson. These are a little bit ambiguous. The first one says, The whole time I'm staring at the judge and at the clerk and we're locking eyes and I'm looking at each one of them. They're just waiting for my verdict of either yes, I agree or no. And I just couldn't. And that's why I said no. She gives a little more detail in her next quote. She said, most of the jury was ready to convict Rezales of at least second-degree murder, but the three jurors refused because the defendant is black. I was talking to Kevin about this when I saw it, and what he said I think is pretty accurate. This is history book shit. This is stuff that is going to go into the history books, to illustrate the collective madness that our society has descended into in the early part of the 21st century. This is a group of people, of course, I'm not there for the trial. I don't know how strong the evidence is. But from the way this story is presented, it does seem that the jury likely would have been able to make a decision, probably guilty, but they refused to do so because the color of his skin. It was just too much to consider sending a black man to prison for life because he's a black man. Hello? What in hell does that have to do with the fact that he allegedly took a knife and stabbed this woman to death when he was burglarizing her house? Whatever happened to black people in the past did not happen to Mr. Rezales. Any sin committed against his ancestors is not a get-out-of-jail-free card for homicide. Why am I sitting in front of this camera explaining this to people? Why am I reading this story? What in hell has gotten into us? If this happens in Florida, which is one of the few, I can't believe this, <laughs> after thinking of Florida as nothing but a big swamp with trailer parks in it and mosquitoes and um, cockroaches, oh, excuse me, palmetto bugs, sorry. Um, it's one of the bright spots among the states right now in terms of freedom. People aren't masked up. 
They're not listening to the CDC. Ron DeSantis, the governor, is actually protecting Florida citizens from overreach by the federal government having to do with COVID. If this can happen in Florida, it can happen anywhere. And you should expect to see more of this. This is a concept um, that I would call jury nullification. Um, I don't believe it's a technical legal term. I don't think that it shows up in statutes. But it's the idea that, and, and it's not just an idea, this is a fact. As a juror, you may refuse to convict. You have that right. There's no law that says you have to convict anybody. So jury nullification is when it can be used for good, it can be used for ill. Jury nullification sometimes occurs when a defendant is brought up on charges by the state and the jury believes that either the law itself or the state's application of the law to the defendant is so morally depraved that it would be a miscarriage of justice. Even if it technically meets the definition of violating the law, they will refuse to convict because they believe it would pervert justice to affirm that law and convict. But we can see that there's a flip side to this. And juries can say, no, we're not going to convict simply because we don't want to, because we don't want to send a black man to prison. This is what happens when we treat people as part of a sacred caste. This is the sacred caste problem. Um, a mistrial happened, so that's at least good. He's going back to trial, and I, I think his trial started up a few days ago on January 3rd, but we never should have gotten here in the first place. And because it's 2021 and everything's about COVID, now we're going to talk about COVID some more. So, do you guys remember the very famous case? It was probably 10 or 15 years ago now, uh, uh, the Terry Schiavo case, a woman who um, was injured and declared almost brain dead, um, in a per- not brain dead, in a persistent vegetative state. And there was a great big court case over whether or not um, her husband had the right to to pull the plug, which he said was his wife's wishes, and and uh, her family said, you know, no, we actually think she's alive. That wasn't the first case. I, one of the big major ones I think happened in the 90s. It was the Karen Ann Quinlan case, very similar in New Jersey. Um, Arthur Kaplan is probably the best-known bioethicist in the United States. He His commentary is regularly sought for contentious cases like this. He's written articles in not only in journals, but in, in lay publications, magazines, and newspapers. He's the go-to guy. You see him on TV all the time when we're talking about sticky bioethical issues. Well, um, let's, let's take a listen to what he told CNN's John Berman this week. Yeah, again... I get the idea of creating a moral standard here and really judging, being willing to judge and say things out loud. The question is, and I also get protecting the vulnerable. Kids under five can't get vaccinated. People who are older and maybe have medical conditions, even if they are vaccinated, are vulnerable. And I get acting in ways that make their lives safer. But by and large, if you're vaccinated and boosted, even if you get infected, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine here. It's the unvaccinated who are going to be hurt. So so why should anyone who is boosted bother at this point to do anything that makes the unvaccinated more safe? Well, look, I want us to act as a community. I want us to act as a team. When you're fighting a war, you need all hands on deck. I don't want to reject those who still haven't done the right thing. I'll condemn them. I'll shame them. I'll blame them but I don't want to exclude them. They've got to come around. We can't win this war. We're gonna be talking about COVID 
this time next year if we don't get more people to do the right thing. So we can't write them off. We can penalize them more. We can say, you're going to pay more on your hospital bill if you weren't vaccinated. You can't get life insurance or disability insurance at affordable rates if you aren't vaccinated. Those companies should not treat us as equals in terms of what the financial burdens are that that disease imposes. So I can think of a number of ways in which we should say, Mm -hmm. here's the stick, get on board. At the same time, we do need everyone. It's a war. you got to have all your troops unified if we're ever going to win it. Yeah, it's still... By and large, it's the unvaccinated who aren't wearing masks. It's the unvaccinated who aren't social distancing. It's the unvaccinated. It's the unvaccinated who aren't wearing masks. It's the unvaccinated who aren't social distancing. It's the unvaccinated. It's the unvaccinated. It's the unvaccinated. Okay, John. Okay, sweetie. Why should we do anything to make the unvaccinated any safer? Nobody wants you to do anything, John Berman. Except leave us the hell alone. Leave us alone. We, the unvaccinated, the refusers, because again, I'm not vaccine hesitant. I'm not hesitant about taking this vaccine. I refuse this vaccine, period. We vaccine refusers, we aren't the paranoid delusional set, John. That's you. We're not afraid of you. Maybe we should be considering how much evidence there is now that you all in the vaccinated pool Uh, are spreading uh, the coronavirus just as much as anybody else. But of course, because we're not in the paranoid pool with you, we understand that we're very, very unlikely to die. And if we get sick from somebody else, we are not want to blame it on your identity grouping. So we don't need you to do anything for us. That's what you want. Stop your projection. Now let's talk about Arthur Kaplan. Mr. Kaplan seems to be wanting to have his cake and eat it Two, he would like to appear to you in an almost avuncular way, as if he were a coach or a general. This is a war. First of all, no, it's not a war. Anytime you start hearing these war metaphors, red flag. Okay, these people are on a mission. But it doesn't sound very avuncular and it doesn't sound very coach-like to hear the relish with which he contemplates the financial punishments that he would like to see happen to people who refuse to take this vaccine. We want to make sure they cannot afford life insurance. We want to make them pay more for disability insurance. They shouldn't, we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't have to pay what they have to pay. He wants to make life harder. He wants to make it more expensive. And as a bioethicist, he is willing He is willing to make it expensive enough that you can't actually get something to protect yourself. You can't get the insurance you need. Very ethical, very bioethicist, Mr. Kaplan. Here's the stick, get on board. (laughs) Here's my middle finger, fuck off. This is naked authoritarianism. Naked authoritarianism coming from a bioethicist. This is why you should take the halo off every single doctor, every single PhD person in public health, every single nurse, every single epidemiologist, 
every single one of these people in the medico industrial complex right now who is getting on your television set and setting you against your friends and neighbors and against your family. I know many of you. I've watched you on social media. Some of you have written to me. I know how many of you couldn't go home for Christmas because you weren't vaccinated. You need to take the halo off these people. They are not saviors. They are not angels. Some of them are narcissists and psychopaths. Not all of them, but some of them and the rest of them are in the grip of narcissistic narcissistic relational styles. They're being flying monkeys. They're enabling people like Arthur Kaplan, people like Anthony Fauci, people like CDC Director Rochelle Walensky. Cut them down to size. Tell them to go to hell. But never trust somebody simply because they've got MD or PhD after their name. Never trust somebody who says, I'm in healthcare, I know what I'm talking about. After what I've seen the past two years, I'm seriously considering what I would do if I had to go to the emergency room. And I think that barring something short of an emergency like a bleed out or a second heart attack, I think I would do a lot to avoid the emergency room. Because I don't trust doctors and nurses anymore after what I've seen. It's not just a bunch of loud mouths, a little minority fringe on social media. It's a whole bunch of them. I do think, even if it's not conscious, I know people. I understand something about human nature. I understand something about human psychology. And even if they think they wouldn't do this, I know that if I were in the emergency room, some of them would in fact be mentally triaging me to the back of the line, regardless of whether my wound needed more critical care quicker, because I refused. I've been bad. I disobeyed. I'm not good. I didn't do my part. I don't trust them. I don't think you should trust them either. <laughs> and speaking of people who need their halos taken off and thrown on the floor and shattered, <laughs> we've got a... We've got another teacher. We talked a lot about teachers on this show. Teachers who are, well, they look like teenagers. They sound like teenagers, but they sound like predatory teenagers talking about their gender and their sexuality with their kindergartners or their preschoolers or their second graders. Well, you know, nobody goes into teaching except to be helpful, right? It's like nursing and doctoring. Only good people go there. No. Some people go into the caring professions because they know that the caring profession provides them a social and professional camouflage behind which they can abuse people. So we have this story about a public school teacher, 54-year-old Laura Russo, who was recently arrested for what? Sticking a vaccine syringe in the arm of her 17-year-old student after school who happened to be at her house. And you're seeing in this video, this 17-year-old student and Ms. Russo jabbing his arm. I have questions. 
First of all, who took the video? Second, why was a 17-year-old boy at teacher Laura Russo's house? Not necessarily nefarious. I can imagine, I can actually, I can remember times in high school when the drama class sometimes went over to the drama teacher's house and rehearsed over there. Okay. But one-on-one stuff like that, I have questions. Apparently, Laura Russo gave this young man, but behind his parents' back, by the way, his mother is furious right now and I don't blame her. The hell is wrong with these people? Not only that, she gave him a Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which is not approved for young people in his age group. And frankly, I don't even see, I don't even know what to say anymore. I don't even trust the ones that are approved because they haven't gone through the clinical trials. This is these decisions have been made politically. There is no reason for teenagers and children in most cases to be vaccinated. They have simply decided to approve certain vaccines because they need that for their narrative and they do not care what the consequences are to these children. You have never seen this before. This is not normal. If any of you think this is normal, this is not how vaccines got approved for your children, any of the other ones that you are familiar with. This is abnormal. (laughs) You remember last week when we were talking about DJ Mix K? The really, 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 really rounded, squishy, cute little teacher who had a new name and had to tell everybody about her gender. (laughs) She wanted little kids to give her their secrets. She wanted to make sure that they knew that she was always open to them, even if they couldn't tell their parents, even if they couldn't tell anybody. DJ Mix K would never tell. Come closer and whisper in my ear. Well, that's what Laura Russo's doing. She's violating boundaries. I wonder if she thought that was going to be their little secret. All right, we're coming up on a break, folks. When we come back, join us again because you're going to learn why radical feminists think gay men are absolutely the worst misogynists of all. And you will also learn why I'm an incel. See you on the other side. For more conversation on the dark and disordered psychology that shapes today's cultural and political left, subscribe to our weekly audio podcast on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and virtually anywhere else you get your podcasts. Let's learn to recognize these dynamics and call them what they are. Subscribe to Disaffected to learn how to break the spell. Welcome back. 
As I said before, it is our one-year anniversary, and I want to thank everybody who's been a loyal viewer since the beginning and since the early part, and especially those of you who have signed up to financially support this show. Some of you have been doing it for almost the entire year, and you're making it happen, and I thank you. And I'd like to ask those of you who are newer to the show to help us out. All of this costs money, and... The help is really, really appreciated. And if you donate to the show, we do weekly, not weekly, excuse me, monthly Zoom hangouts for donors only. They're private. They're off camera. They're not recorded. We can talk about anything you want. Last time we actually watched Mommy Dearest together. Uh, so sometimes we have some fun too. So there's two ways to do it. You can go to patreon.com slash disaffected or subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Thank you going to revisit the topic of female narcissism that we got into last week. If you recall, we talked about an article that was published in The Atlantic by an author named Honor Jones. The article was titled, How I Demolished My Life, A Home Improvement Essay. And the conceit of this quite long article was how Miss Jones, uh, who has several kids and a husband, excuse me, now an ex-husband, um, felt too hemmed in by her suburban life, her very cushy life, where she was trying to decide between different styles of cabinet countertops and different British patterns for her Pennsylvania farmhouse. And she just decided that she didn't want all of this and that her husband was standing in the way of her self-actualization, so she decided to get a divorce and split up the family so that she could put her face into the wind. Here's an example of the kind of prose we're talking about here. I wanted to be thinking about art and sex and politics and the patriarchy. How much of my life, I mean the architecture of my life, but also its essence, my soul, my mind, had I built around my husband? Who could I be if I wasn't his wife? Maybe I would microdose. Maybe I would have sex with women. Maybe I would write a book. Not about real estate. Okay, before I get into the substance, I'm going to criticize the style. You meant, who could I be if I weren't his wife? You're a writer, Honor. The subjunctive. Familiarize yourself with it. So, what bothered me about this or why I picked it, is, is because it's an example of the kinds of things that in our era, women can get away with saying things that are, in my view, bordering on antisocial, certainly anti-family commitment, certainly anti-loyalty, concerned with the self and the glorification of the self, but not concerned with the moral duty and responsibility to the children that you bring into the world. And people reacted to the show last week, and uh, a couple of people said, rightly, actually, that if you go back to the late 60s, well, it's the 60s, it may have started with, probably didn't start with, but Playboy, and the 60s and 70s literary scene was chock-a-block with narcissistic male 
masturbatory writing, some of it quite literally masturbatory, <laughs> um, that sounded very much like the male version of, of the kind of stuff that was in Honor Jones's essay. Uh, but you don't see that anymore. And, I, and I'm glad. I mean, it's just as obnoxious coming from the male sex as it is from the female sex. But what's interesting to me is the very things that reasonably upset a number of women readers when men do these things don't seem to upset them at all when women do them. And I think it's a function of the pendulum swing approach to cultural change that always seems to happen in this. Maybe it's always happened throughout time. I don't know. I wasn't there. <laughs> but, you know, we go from we go from the world of madmen and just unashamed, unapologized for sexism, mistreatment of women, um, women not being able to get bank loans or credit cards without their husband's signature, et cetera, et cetera. We go from that world, which we do not want, all the way to the other side. So we're in a world where a woman basically, I mean, she didn't abandon her kids, but she broke up the family. They got two separate apartments. And I wish I had pulled this quote uh, from last week, but it was something like, I knew I was taking something away from my children that I could never give back to them, but at least I gave them a way of being in the world. I mean, I'm sorry, but this is the kind of essay that's typed one-handed because the other hand is occupied. This gets you go, girl. This gets slay queen. It gets realize yourself, sister, do it for yourself. What about the kids? I'll, I'll leave aside duty to the marriage. I'll leave that to other commentators. What I'm concerned about is the health and welfare of children. And we know that children who come from broken homes have statistically much worse outcomes, scholastically, physically in terms of their health, psychiatrically in terms of their mental health. It's not debatable. We know this. And it, as I said last week, it bothered me because I see this attitude a lot in public conversation, this attitude that anything women do is justified because it's only ever a reaction to a man holding her down or oppressing her in some way. It's, it's gotten to the point where it's ridiculous. There's no excuse that some women will not give for the misbehavior of other women. And it bothered me that... Former New York, Times, New York Times editor and Wall Street Journal editor Barry Weiss, who is friends with Honor Jones, and I think that friendship has clouded her judgment. It bothered me that Barry characterized this as, as a beautiful and moving essay. And I, I often wonder if some of the women who see these things as exercises in feminist praxis are going to look back on that evaluation a few years from now and say, why wasn't anybody thinking of the children? I hope so. But there's another way that, I don't know what you call it. It's not all kinds of feminism, but it's certainly common in circles of women who style themselves as radical feminists or rad femmes. I harp on this because this, this used to be the social set that I, hang, I hung out with. 
until five years ago, most of my life, I was a left-leaning liberal Democrat for the welfare state, for special supports for single mothers, for universal health care, for gun control, which is, as I've changed my mind now, is, yes, actually taking your guns away. Not for it anymore. I was raised by a woman with borderline and narcissistic personality disorders who was promiscuous, self-sabotaging, lazy, self-indulgent, self-regarding, wicked, and had an excuse for everything that went wrong in her life. I don't remember if I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again even if I have told it before. Because I think it illustrates why some of us come to the political places that we do, maybe some of this will ring true for you. So I was about seven or eight years old living in Southern California. And we were walking to the grocery store, my my sister, my brother and I, and my mother. And this was after my mother had um, thrown my stepfather out of the house, the father of my brother and sister, who was a violent man and who tried to kill her one night. We're walking to the store because we didn't have a car. And as we approached the Gemco on Placentia Avenue in Fullerton, there was a young man with a clipboard, a college-aged man with a clipboard and um, a petition table. And he walked up to my mother and he said, ma'am, would you like to sign this uh, this petition to help end welfare fraud? My mother had some style. And this is what she did. She looked at him. And she said, young man, and then she pointed at her children, the three of us. She said, do you see any welfare fraud here? Put her nose in the air and walked into the store. Well, that was my introduction to leftist, democratic, and kind of socialist politics. For a long, long time, I justified all of my mother's choices There was always a reason why she couldn't go back to work. There was always a reason why she needed more generous welfare benefits. And when I finally came out of it, when I parted ways with my mother five, almost six years ago, after bringing her back into my life and experiencing the same kind of psychological abuse I always had, I started to rethink my politics. And I no longer believe that the source of all misery in women's lives is men. We are not living in a patriarchy. It's laughable. Yes, there's sexism. These days I see an equal amount of sexism in both directions, maybe even more weighted against men these days, because men are terrified to disagree with women, and men are terrified to notice narcissistic behavior in women and call it narcissistic behavior because he will be called toxically masculine. And this is happening with gay men as well, particularly with the radical feminists, the kinds of women that I used to spend my time with. So I'm going to take you through a little Twitter feud. You like social media fights, don't you? (laughs) No, Josh, it's just you. So back in early December, I put up a tweet. This was on December 13th. It was an old tweet that started getting new attention last week. Here's my opening tweet. I've been hearing that gay men have misogyny off the scale and that gay male misogyny is often the worst and far worse than that of straight men. 
Given that we homos aren't raping women, abandoning them with children, or beating them up, can someone explain this to me? <laughs> Sorry, I snorted and we're, all, we're only into the first tweet. So the first explanation I got for this, why gay men are the worst, why our misogyny is off the scale. I did a bad job cutting this out and I cut this person's name off. Sorry about that. I couldn't go back and retrieve it because she blocked me. Her answer, surrogacy, drag queens, or as I like to call it, woman face and objectifying women, but it doesn't matter because I'm gay. Okay. <laughs> First of all, this is an example of how all of us on social media are just avatars. We're, we're blank screens on which people project their fantasies of who we are. And I know I'm guilty of that, too, because this woman doesn't know me, obviously. I, I agree. I think commercial surrogacy is awful. I don't really think it should be legal. I think it's exploitation. Frankly, it's exploitation of the child. It's buying a baby. Um. I am less sympathetic to the idea that it's exploitation of the woman than I used to be a couple of years ago because these women are choosing to do this. It's sort of like the, the idea that, well, women are forced into prostitution every day in the United States. There are some women who are forced and who are trafficked, absolutely, but most of them, nobody is forced in this country to be a prostitute to pay their bills, okay? There are other jobs. They may not be glamorous. They may not pay much, but aside from those who are actually trafficked, Nobody is forced into prostitution, and nobody is forced into surrogacy either. And drag queens? Well, I might have to dedicate an entire episode to talking about drag and the politics and the aesthetics of drag. It's too much for this one. But the idea that some men putting on lipstick and heels and doing a body comedy burlesque routine is somehow an example of the worst kind of misogyny and even worse than what straight men do just really doesn't wash with me. So I responded, women like this drive away the very men most likely to be sympathetic to them. If you're driving away the gays, it's you who are toxic. Fight your own battles then. Never ask again where all the decent men are you don't believe they exist. And I'm right. This kind of women does not believe decent men exist. I don't care how much they object to this. They hate men. They do. And then they all piled on. <laughs> it was like being surrounded by a bunch of little baby raptors. So, your sister is the better soldier said to me, you sound exactly like an incel. What's an incel? It's a contraction of a term involuntarily celibate, involuntary celibate. I don't know an awful lot about the people who, um, actually the men who label themselves that way. I, I believe that they're, the idea is that they would like to pair up, but they don't feel like there's a place for them in the sexual marketplace, or they don't like the politics of male and female dating, et cetera, et cetera. But it's an insult. When, when, when it's used this way, it's an insult. It, it means you're pathetic. You're contemptible. Um, you somehow feel entitled to sex and you're just angry that women won't give you what you feel entitled to. That's what that means. It's an, in, it's an insult. I sound like an insult. 
sweetie, I'm not involuntarily celibate with respect to women. I am voluntarily celibate with respect to women. (laughs) That's what homosexual means. Next one responding to me said, you sound like an MRA. That's a men's rights activist. And I used to say those things too. You sound like an MRA, men going their own way. Oh my God, you're so terrible and awful. I need to look more carefully at what the men's rights activists actually say because I'm betting it's not nearly as extreme as I believed it was, especially since I learned all these lessons from people like these women. Next one. <laughs> nice username. I don't know exactly what it means, but it sounds a little bit clinical. Vag Femaliza. <laughs> She says, I'm sorry, I'm going to do the voice. Thanks for proving you're not one expecting women to be grateful for any crumb of basic decency. We don't need men to fight our battles. We've always had to do it ourselves. The relentless shit caused by fragile masculinity denying us full humanity. Your ego is not our concern. I totally agree, Vag Femaliza. My ego's totally not your concern. <laughs> but you know, I, I I was committed to the battle, so I kept stirring the pot. You're, this is what I said in response. Your nasty, snarky bitterness at men who are inclined to stick up for women against the trans incursion, and I'm against surrogacy too for the same reasons you are. This is what drives any good gay men away. You make yourselves alone in your campaigns by your own behavior. And I stand by that. I carried water for these causes and for these women until I disagreed with some on some things and the whole house of cards came tumbling down. I haven't sat and timed out the back catalog of Disaffected, but I have spent a significant amount of airtime defending women's and girls' rights to privacy in their bathrooms, in their locker rooms, in their sporting events, against the incursion from what are actually straight men calling themselves women. You know that 80 to 90% of the so-called trans women of today are heterosexual men. Do you know what we used to call them? They weren't trans women. They were transvestites, fetishists. Yeah, it's a sexual fetish. That's the majority of your trans women these days. And this is mistreatment of women. Many of them are misogynistic. Many of them do pose an actual danger to women. And we need to talk about this. But that's never enough. It's never enough. So the next one says, her reaction is, but but I'm a nice guy. You know, like I'm trying to date her or something. It's like AOC. Everybody who disagrees with me wants to date me. She didn't mean date either. That's not how you spell that word. The word she meant starts with an F. Next response. Victim blaming women. Classic. (laughs) Victim blame? What are you a victim of? That I disagreed with you? (laughs) Then Grumpy Boomer says... And I give her points for style here because I talk like this to some people too when I'm feeling snotty. So fair fair play. Sweetie, I believe lesbians should divorce ourselves completely from gay men. I have seen the animosity from gay men toward us. I have seen the misogyny out loud and clear. We don't actually need you because you have never done anything for our community. Losing you costs us zero. Okay, 
that's fine. Ex-domina turned abolitionist and educator at Dworkin's Truth, Andrea Dworkin. Oh my God! And ex-domina, you know what that means? She she was a you know, she did phone sex or something, or she got paid to tie men up and grind her stiletto on their balls. I'm totally with you on that. Drag names just reek of misogyny. Fish, hole, and other sexist references, as well as the bimbo-style dumb woman trope, tell me all I need to know. Yeah, I know. There are a lot of modern drag queens these days who, they're not just bawdy anymore. They are kind of insulting. I get that. Hasn't always been that way. But, you know, gay men are getting really, really tired of this because it's getting relentless from these kinds of women. And one of them that I follow, his name's AJ, jumped into the conversation. And he responded back to her and he said, Fuck you, Helen. Gay men pioneered drag. It's art. It's expression. I don't care if you're a woman. I don't care if you're a dinosaur. I don't care about your pastel heart emojis. That is a nasty tweet. If anyone gets their panties in a twist, you can fuck off too. Rock on, AJ. And he followed up with, I know it was harsh, but it pissed me off. I cherish women, but they aren't immune to being toxic people. And no one says anything to them. I'm not here to be made to feel bad for being a gay man. The truth is, it wasn't about drag. That was just a vehicle for a cheap shot. And AJ is right. But they never let it go. So Kaima responds, femininity is the tool by which the female sex is oppressed. Celebrating that is offensive to us. <laughs> Read up on feminist theory before broadcasting this level of ignorance. Next insane take. <laughs> you know that one, right? Educate yourself out of your ignorance. Just educate yourself. We're not uneducated. Some of us have read your goddamn radical feminist tomes. And you know what? We think they're full of shit. And if I weren't feeling so pissy right now, I'd actually be willing to talk about the parts of Andrea Dworkin and other radical feminist writings that I think are incredibly insightful. And I do. But you know what? I don't care today. <laughs> oh, there's only two more. Okay. So um, Zariah says, no one says anything to them? Man, you're really letting it all hang out. Yes, we're showing the world what misogynists we are. And finally, we get the last one from a Jennifer Gingrich who says, men portraying women as grotesque, hypersexualized, bitchy, bimbo stereotypes does not celebrate femininity. Okay. It does exactly what blackface minstrel shows did to blacks. How would you feel being told white people in blackface were just celebrating your blackness? You know what? Can it? You women are so fucking jealous of black people over blackface. You've been trying to make this a thing for a long time. Drag is just woman face. First of all, no, it isn't. Because when somebody puts on shoe polish to look like a black person, they're trying. This is not. Skin color is not the same thing as cosmetics. You women are not false eyelashes. You're not blue eyeshadow. You're not contouring drag queen makeup. No one is making you do that every day. I hear that too. We have to do this every day or we're not acceptable in the workplace. Bullshit. That's not true. It's just not true. This is not like blackface. And you know what else? In for a penny, in for a pound. I may as well get myself into a lot of trouble. Blackface minstrelsy may be offensive, 
but it's not nearly so damned offensive as everybody is making it out to be. It has been emotionally inflated to the point of hyperbolic absurdity. Get off the cross. Somebody else needs the wood. And before we go to the break, I didn't have time to put in any video for you on this because I learned about this story just before I started recording, but I wanted to give you another example really quickly. There's a story out of Texas right now of a mother, a 41-year-old mother and a teacher who locked her 17-year-old son, I think he was 17, in the trunk of their car uh-huh. and drove him to a COVID testing site because she discovered he'd been exposed to somebody who had COVID and she didn't want to get it from him. So she put him in the trunk of the car and drove to a COVID testing site and one of the other people there saw this and called the police. And I... I, I thankfully... Oh my God, I just don't even know what to say. Thankfully... Many people saw how outrageous this was, but I was surprised. It was a minority, but I was surprised at how many people defended this on social media. I got outraged mothers saying, she didn't try to suffocate him. He wasn't going to suffocate. This isn't abuse. Oh my God. I blame, I blame the media. I blame Fauci. Everybody's been driving parents crazy until they're driven to this. Are you kidding me? If there was a story out there that a father had locked his daughter in the trunk of a car, they'd not only be screaming child abuse, which it is, but they'd be screaming misogynistic child abuse. But when mommy does it, somebody made her. Somebody drove her to it. Another person defended this by saying, that's not abuse. We used to get into the trunk of our car to sneak into the drive-in theater. Oh my God, kids have been doing this all the time. Oh, okay, really? Really? Well, why don't you try this one? If I were going to justify it the way you tried to justify this, I would say, um, like, when I masturbate, I touch my own genitals. So, like, it's not abuse if your mother and father does. You're doing it yourself anyway. Don't be stupid. But it's another example. Women get away with stuff today that men don't get away with. Okay, so we are coming up on the break. After this break, we're going to look at one of the most frightening bills I have seen in a state legislature in a long time. And I've read a lot of legislation over the decades. There's a bill in New York that would make dissent and disagreement prosecutable as creating a public nuisance and a public harm. Come back on the other side. For more conversation on the dark and disordered psychology that shapes today's cultural and political left, Subscribe to our weekly audio podcast on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and virtually anywhere else you get your podcasts. Let's learn to recognize these dynamics and call them what they are. Subscribe to Disaffected to learn how to break the spell. users go to patreon.com slash disaffected 
Subscribestar users, you can find us at subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Check out our webpage at disaffected.fm for the complete list of ways you can help support us. And thank you. Welcome back. Are you subscribed to us on audio? Because if not, you should be. You will get not only the audio version of this podcast that you watch, but you can take us along in the car. You can mop the floor with us. You can listen to us in bed. We are on every major podcast audio platform, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts. Anywhere you get your podcast, you can find us. We have a couple of audio-only episodes so far, and we're going to be doing more of those. So definitely please do subscribe um, on audio as well, because as we put those out, that's going to be content that you won't get here on video. You're not going to see it on YouTube, and you're not going to see it on audio. So thanks very much. Let's bring this show home by talking about Senate Bill 7568 from the great state of New York. This was introduced, it's still in committee right now, and I hope it stays there. This was introduced by Senator Brad Hoyleman, who is a Democrat from Manhattan and also the chair of the Judiciary Committee. I know this word is overused, but I can't think of a better descriptor for it than Orwellian. The bill claims to stop what it calls harmful misinformation, but naturally, it's so vague and it that it's written in a way that it can be applied to anybody or any situation the state wishes it to apply to. And that's no surprise, is it? Because people who propose bills like this are authoritarians. They're people who want to control you. So let me... Let me tell you how the bill describes itself. This is one thing I've complained about Albany before. Um, the lawmakers in Albany are are a level of arrogance that I have never seen in another state. And there's a lot of arrogance in lawmakers. Albany takes the cake. Uh, but one thing I do like about the New York State Legislature is um, their rules for bills. Uh, your bill has to have a rationale portion. You have to actually explain it in narrative terms at the beginning, and that's very helpful. So... From the justification preamble to the bill. In October 2021, Francis Haugen, a former Facebook employee, provided shocking testimony to United States senators alleging that the company knew of research proving that its product was harmful to teenagers but purposely hid that research from the public. She also provided testimony that the company was willing to use hateful content to retain users on the social media site. Social media amplification has been linked to many societal ills, including vaccine disinformation, encouragement of self-harm, bullying, and body image issues among youth, and extremist radicalization leading to terrorist attacks like the January 6th insurrection against the U.S. Capitol. Terrorist attacks like the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. Then why has nobody who's been sitting in jail for a year been charged with insurrection? Senator. Terrorist attack? Somebody got murdered at the Capitol. Her name was Ashley Babbitt. 
and one of the Capitol Police officers killed her. Who's the terrorist? Trespassers? Sure. Vandals? Yes. Maybe even rioters, some of them. Sure. Insurrection? Terrorist attack? Notice how, notice how the kitchen sink and all of its contents are thrown into this bill. There's a reason for that. They're softening you up. Body images among youth. Bullying. Self-harm. Feel bad for the kids. We're trying to protect the kids, and you wouldn't want to go against a bill that protects children, would you? That's the tactic. (laughs) So I read the bill. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but I did read it. And in my view, this bill would bar individuals, that is regular people like you, and companies, companies like Facebook or anyone else, from knowingly or recklessly promoting misinformation that, quote, endangers the safety or health of the public. Well, that's not broad, is it? This is so vague, it can be applied to anything they don't like. They can decide that you were reckless. A reasonable person should have known that this was really, really, really bad misinformation. Misinformation? How do you distinguish misinformation from opinion? How do you, di- how do you distinguish misinformation from disagreement on what a statistical analysis means? You don't. And he knows that. That's why he wrote this. Deliberate. Let me read to you from the bill. Prohibited activities. No person by conduct either unlawful in itself or unreasonable under all the circumstances shall knowingly or recklessly create, maintain, or contribute to a condition in New York State that endangers the safety or health of the public through the promotion of content, including through the use of algorithms or other automated systems that prioritize content by a method other than solely by time and date such content was created, the person knows or reasonably should know or advocates for the use of force is directed to inciting or producing imminent lawless action. I'm going to stop there. I'll pick this quote back up, and I'm going to insert myself there. This is very clearly aimed at Donald Trump and the accusation that he promoted a violent terrorist attack on the Capitol, even though the man literally stood there on January 6th and said, go home if you're going to riot. I don't remember his exact quote. I know he said, go and show him hell, raise hell, something like that. That is not an incitement to violence. Yes, when I strongly disliked Donald Trump myself, I made, I would have made that sort of interpretation, but I think it's too legally tenuous. I'm sorry. So you can't do things that advocate for the use of force or are directed to inciting or producing imminent lawless action and is likely to incite or produce such action or advocates for self-harm, 
is directed to inciting or producing imminent self-harm and is likely to incite or produce such actions or includes a false statement of fact or fraudulent medical theory. What is a fraudulent medical theory? Who decides that? I know, I know, Senator Hoylman, you do, and the great empire state decides that, right? Bullshit. This is, I don't know how it's going to come out in the courts, but this is flagrantly unconstitutional, at least in its intent. And I, I'm sorry, I will put my last dime on the bet that if this goes into law, it will be used in a blatantly and uncontroversially, uncontroversially unconstitutional way, fraudulent medical theory. They want you to believe, and, and you, you know what? Almost everybody on the left is going to believe this. Oh, they're just saying quackery. They're just saying things like, you know, you can't tell people to inject bleach because you know that'll kill them. That's not going to stop with that shit, okay? That's not what it's about. It's about silencing people from questioning the efficacy of the vaccine. It's about silencing people who encourage people. What is advocating for self-harm is saying don't take the vaccine because I worry that the risk profile for injury is greater than your risk for COVID. This bill will be used, if it becomes law, to make that incitement to imminent self-harm. Absolutely will. You know what it won't be used to do? It won't be used to stop surgeons like Dr. Gallagher, who we talked about last week, who yeets the teats. She goes to work just joyful, thinking about all the breasts she's going to cut off adolescent girls because they're finding their gender identity and they're going to be affirmed. It's not going to be used to stop people like her. No. It's going to be used to stop people like Billboard Chris, who we've had on the show, who wears a sandwich board that says things like, children can't consent to puberty blockers and puberty is not a disease. He's trying to wake people up who are standing by while children are medically transitioned and mutilated. It's going to be used to silence people like him because they these people call the prevention of a child from transitioning, they call that harming the child. There are cases right now where parents have lost custody of their children for fighting the other parent who wants to castrate the boy or cut the breasts off the girl. The parent who wants to stop that medical mutilation is called the abusive parent. This is the narcissistic and psychopathic reversal. And it is what is being talked about in Isaiah 520. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Yeah. Woe unto them. And notice how broadly they also talk about public nuisance in this bill, another prosecutable act to create a public nuisance. Look how broadly they define it. Notice that they, well, I'll read it to you. Quote, the existence of a public nuisance as provided in this section shall not depend on whether the person acted for the purpose of causing harm to the public. So that means you can be prosecuted for creating a public nuisance even if you didn't intend to even if you were just trying to talk. 
And who does this apply to? Here's the part. Don't be fooled by people who tell you, this is just going to rein in those bad social media companies. Believe me, I think social media companies have a lot to answer for. This is not the route to do it. It's not restricted to them. This bill talks about companies and persons. I'll show you. Look at your screen. It creates a private right of action. Private right of action. Any person, firm, corporation, or association that has been damaged as a result of a person's acts or omissions in violation of this article shall be entitled to bring an action for recovery of damages to enforce this article in the Supreme Court or Federal District Court. Person means you. It means your neighbor. It means your boss. It means somebody in town who doesn't like you and thinks that if you wear a sign that says, don't take the vaccine, it's not safe, that you have created a public nuisance and you have harmed your neighbor and your neighbor can launch a lawsuit against you. This isn't just the state. That's what private right of action means. This is the same legal tool that is justifiably upset people about the new Texas abortion law that bans abortions after six weeks. That law says any person can bring suit against someone who helped someone procure an abortion. Any dude off the street, any woman off the street, they're setting us against each other. Our language, the words that we use, to communicate with each other. Our language changes over time, but human nature doesn't change. Narcissists, authoritarians, the emotionally demented, they have always been with us. The ancients wrote about them. The early moderns wrote about them. They show up in our mythology as succubi, as vampires, as seductive witches. We group these people today under a modern psychiatric label, Cluster B, Cluster B personality disorders, the borderlines, the narcissists, the histrionics, and the psychopaths. But I think we need to go back and reconsider the first modern medical term that was applied to this state of mind, moral insanity. Not everybody we've talked about today is necessarily a narcissist or a psychopath, but all of them are in the grip of a moral insanity that has been normalized. It is morally insane to let somebody off for murder because of the color of his skin. It's morally insane to suggest pricing citizens out of the insurance market because they don't want to take a vaccine that you want them to take. It's morally insane to invite your 17-year-old high school student over to your house as a teacher and stick the Johnson & Johnson vaccine into his arm behind his parents' back. None of this is normal. None of this is moral. When you see moral insanity, call it moral insanity. Don't call it misguided. Don't say they meant well. They're not misguided, and they don't mean well. They want you compliant, or they want you dead. What are you going to do? It's your move.
For more conversation on the dark and disordered psychology that shapes today's cultural and political left, subscribe to our weekly audio podcast on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and virtually anywhere else you get your podcasts. Let's learn to recognize these dynamics and call them what they are. Subscribe to Disaffected to learn how to break the spell.